0: Living out grace daily and what it can look like. Uh, this this uh, led me on a rabbit trail last night, like multiple rabbit trails. Oh boy, I could hit on this one. Oh, I gotta do this one. Oh, so I, I saved a large document of all kinds of stuff that's pretty exciting, which gives me an idea for the fall. And I will be sending an email to anybody on the e- email list. I, I would like some input on some sermon content. Uh, I have some ideas, I wanna see if, it, it seems to fit the desires from those that are listening at Hope Fellowship. But I am thinking of restarting in September. What is grace? What is it? I remember, well, Ron and Sharon are watching online, and they were, um, they have been part of Hope Fellowship from the beginning and had been at, the, at least in the beginning. And one of the hopes was that this community church would be a church that discovers and grows in grace. What does it mean? Well, from then till now, we're still learning what grace is and how it's lived out. Um, but it's, we've also gone super deep over the years. And so I'd like to restart and, uh, from a fresh place, because some folks are new to Hope Fellowships. Online we have new people. And I want to get into it and kind of talk through, okay, what is this grace that we talk about? And we'll talk about what it is not Because there are some misunderstandings that I think are there. And so uh, I think it'll be fun sharing the journey um, with everybody and also receiving your input. Because it's not just me teaching, it's us sharing. It's the conversations. I learn from you as well. So I love the fact that we can do that in this community. But today, how do we live out grace daily? What it can look like. And so I have a couple things that hit me this week. I think last week I shared some memes and it was kind of interesting. Some people were triggered by them in a good way. And so I had to resend it out to a few people because they said, what was that one? What was this one? And so basically, these are some things that made me pause and ponder this week. And maybe it can make you pause and ponder as well. If we could look into each other's hearts and understand the unique challenges each of us faces, I think we would treat each other much more gently, with more love, patience, tolerance, and care. This kind of hit me because we react to people every day when we're driving. So it happens, and those reactions are not always justified. Our reactions in our own homes aren't always justified. We don't know what the other person's thinking. We think we do. But this was just a nice pause because maybe we need that pause before reacting and find a gentler way. I, I thought that was pretty good. This one. You'd never invite a thief into your house, so why would you allow thoughts that steal your joy to make themselves at home in your mind? This one's hard to process because... <laughs> Sometimes the stuff comes at us, but we don't realize that we have control. We have control of the mind to take every thought captive. It doesn't say let every thought in. It says take every thought captive instead of just letting it loose through the house. I remember we've had a bat in our house a couple times, and uh, once it hit the bedroom, it's like, can you, like, ah! Ah! You know, and uh, it, it's pretty scary because this thing just goes all over the place. It's like, I hate bats. Like, ah! Like, I go crazy if I'm chasing this thing and I have to go get my pool skimmer and whack, just, just trying to get this stupid thing. Get a door open, quick! Get it out the door! Ah. But it's in the house and I want it out. It's not supposed to be there. Same thing with thoughts that steal our joy. And we can... If we pause and ponder, maybe we can recognize faster that some of those things that we think about, it's okay to think about some things, but when it's consuming and stays and robs you of your joy, and I'm not talking about happiness, that's not the same thing. I'm talking about joy, which is internal peace, and I'm learning how to figure that out, balance to be honest with difficult things that you have to wrestle with, because they can steal your joy too but how can I process that and not just turn it off because I still have to think it through. That was pretty good. One of the most meaningful gifts a parent can give to a child is to acknowledge their own mistake to say, I was wrong, or I'm sorry. This is so powerful because it also gives the child permission to make a mistake, to admit having messed up and still be okay. This is a hard one, this requires humility to admit that, and I think, I thought, I thought the quote was great. And they will know you are my disciples by your, not rules, not theology, not righteousness, not power, not rhetoric, not purity, not clubs, but by our love. And I was chatting with a couple of people this week online who are dismantling the system of religion and yet hanging on to Jesus. And they said, this, this is what the gospel boils down to is love. Not our opinions, not even our doctrines. Like Jennifer was talking about the doctrine of atonement. Uh, and that's a great one because we grew up with a certain category of teaching our whole lives, most of us anyway. And then to realize there's another item on the menu that we weren't told about, Christus Victor. Well, that's good and that's part of our learning but it boils down to love. When we focus on the love of Christ, first of all, that God is love, and that he loves us, oh, maybe we don't even love ourselves. That's a big one. When all that becomes real in us, all that other stuff is filtered through love instead, instead of just opinion and rhetoric. And I thought, this was, is this was pretty cool. Last one, from Brian Zahn. We all make errors in our theology. Oh, we have to admit that, don't we? Uh, You and me both. So my recommendation is to err on the side of love. Why? Because God is not doctrine. God is not denomination. God is not war. God is not law. God is not hate. God is not hell. God is love. we've, We've talked about that. For years here at Hope Fellowship, God is love. I thought that was a really great summed up quote. All right, Henry Nouwen. I love, love, love this divine choice of weakness devotional as we dig into this topic even further. He writes, God chose to enter into human history in complete weakness. That divine choice forms the center of the Christian faith. In Jesus of Nazareth, the powerless God appeared among us to unmask the illusion of power, to disarm the prince of darkness who rules the world, and to bring the divided human race to a new unity. It is through total and unmitigated powerlessness that God shows us divine mercy. It is very hard, if not impossible, for us to grasp this divine mercy. I love that. We keep praying to the almighty and powerful God, but all might and power is absent from the one who reveals God to us, saying, when you see me, you see the Father. And if we truly want to love God, we have to look at the man of Nazareth whose life was wrapped in weakness, and his weakness opens for us the way to the heart of God. I love that. How do we live this out? By looking at Jesus. Jesus modeled for us what it is to live. Now, somebody wrote a book years ago called In His Steps. How many of you remember that one? Yes. And in that book... Uh, a clever little phrase came out of it. What would Jesus do? It's become a bumper sticker and you name it, keychain thing, and blah 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 blah. And that's that's fine. It had a good intent, and it was a good start to thinking about what would Jesus do. Uh, but the problem was, it's up to you. It's up to you to stop and figure out. What would Jesus do? That means you gotta try and think his thoughts. And what would he do in your situation? But he never had the internet. So how would he, how would he handle responding to this person on Facebook? <laughs> you know, what would Jesus do? Um, it requires you to guess. And therefore, the what would Jesus do falls short. It is incomplete. If you want to take it to the maximum, the only thing that you could do do, of what Jesus would do, is this. One thing. Abide. Jesus abided in his Father constantly. That's it. There's no to-do list. There's no agenda. Jesus was walking and doing his thing. He was walking along, and God revealed to him what a woman was thinking behind him, and then touched his his robe, and boom, miracle happened. He felt the power. Hey, somebody touched me. Hey, Jesus, of course somebody touched me. There's a crowd here. What do you think? No, 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 somebody touched me by faith, hoping. It was all in that moment. As he's walking, wherever he's going, thinking the thoughts of people, he abided in the Father. And if we could learn to just abide, just rest not try to figure out not try to sort out all the fears with great strategy each of us have stresses and fears in our lives right now you know i have a friend who's trying to sell a house and we have people here trying to sell a house this this is this is a stressful time but there's still this thing called trust and rest it's out of your control and when you realize that maybe you don't have to carry that weight alone you were never meant to family situations relationship issues you name it it's not easy so abide we hear a lot about grace in the church or at a dinner table (laughs) but what um oops but how do we live i wrote that wrong oops but how do we live it out Uh, How would we live out this grace we say we believe in? I believe grace is a person. This is where we're going to get into it in the fall. Um, Grace is Jesus. Now, some people will argue, well, how do you know grace is a person? Where would you come up with that? I didn't. I discovered it through others who've come to see grace is a person. Love is a person. Truth is a person. You can go down the list. Jesus is grace personified. There may be another way of looking at this, but what does living out Jesus daily look like? Well, let's get into 1 Timothy 2 because this one is filled with a lot. It may not be for everybody. Hopefully one of these slides will hit you today. Just just one. Whether it was the quotes or the scripture or nothing. Maybe it was the song. (laughs) Maybe it was my introduction. Who knows? Maybe it had nothing to do with the service and God speaks to you. That's cool. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Stop there. Some people have been asking, what about prayer? What do we do with prayer? And that's another topic. Maybe I'll work through those this summer. You know, what about prayer? What about growing? What about evangelism? What about all these things we're supposed to do in the church or as believers? How how does it look? Is there value to it anymore? Well, there is, but it's not a to do list. It's a get-to list. Very different. I was clubbed over the head by Bible college and churches and being a pastor in other churches, and it's about the to-do, and then you have to give a report of all the stuff you did to prove your your paycheck was valued. That's awful. Mind you, every paycheck you have to show your value, you don't get paid. That's how it works. But in the church world, it's attached to the performance, which feeds to performance-based acceptance. Because if we do it in our work, which happens, but then we apply the same principle to God, that's where it messes up. We are already accepted. You don't have to try to earn acceptance from God. He fully accepts you, fully values you, fully loves you. That's hard to solve because growing up, I was told, if I go to church regularly, I'm more valued by God. Or if I give financially, then I'm I'm a better Christian, better than the one over there who doesn't give. Or if I participate in reaching out to the lost, I'm a better Christian. But that's malarkey. None of that makes you a better Christian, although we're groomed to think that in the church. There's no such thing as better Christian. Christian is a term and sometimes it's not well received. More and more people are choosing not to identify themselves as a Christian anymore. And then the Christian world goes, oh, they've left the faith. And they're all in in derogatory terms. And they try to preach at them that come back or you'll go to hell and all this stuff. But what people are really saying, what I'm catching, When they say, I don't want to identify as a Christian anymore, ask them, what is it? And you'll quickly find most often it has to do with the judgmentalism, the hurtfulness of church folks in certain groups. It's the the system of rules that they're rejecting. But it's been so blended into this thing called church or Christian, they don't want to identify it like that. I have some people say, well, I'm I'm a believer in Jesus. Fantastic! But they don't want to call themselves Christian because it has such a bad label in our culture right now. I still am a Christian, but I don't make sure everybody knows that when I meet them. (laughs) Hi, I love Jesus. What's your name? (laughs) That's just weird. You know? So what is it? Well, when it comes to prayer... It also makes me question, well, why do we pray? Because I grew up believing when we pray to get God to do stuff for us. <laughs> Somebody's sick, let's pray. Let's have a meeting, pray. Because if we get enough people together, God will do something. Well, the joke is, well, you get 99 people together and God sits back, I wanted 101. So, nope, not doing it. Right? Like, That's the mentality of it, if you think about it. It's not getting the numbers to pray for you. In fact, who is the one who prays for us? Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. We need one. We don't need a crowd. And somebody says, well, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst, that's a classic line. Well, that's reread that text. It's not talking about God being present. It has to do with church discipline and problems and conflict. Has nothing to do with prayer. Because we have learned already God is present. If you were here last week, how close is God? In us, we're already one with God. God is present. We don't need two or three to have God present. That's implying God's distant and far away. And when we're good, He's near. When we pray right, He's near. No, He is present all the time. So, what is prayer? Is it manipulating God? Is it saying the right prayer? Is it finding the, you know, what is prayer? Honestly, it's a communication with God from spirit to spirit. And sometimes we pray and we don't even know it. Do you realize your anxiety is a form of prayer? Yeah, there's some people that pray a lot. (laughs) That's our soul screaming. And Abba, Papa, who is one with us, who lives in us, who lives around us, senses and feels that emotion, the anxiety. That is a prayer without words. He hears the groans of our spirit and responds. Every prayer is heard. Pray for everyone. Pray for all people. So why pray? If it's not to get God to do stuff? Well, I have to admit, there's a bit of mystery here. I'm not 100% sure. But we're encouraged to pray. It was modeled by Jesus. He prayed a lot. Paul prayed a lot. It was just modeled. Why? I think when you tell people they have to pray... They get into a routine and check it out there, pray, done. Okay, now I can go on and do the next thing. But when you don't tell them to pray and show them a way of living, and if that's what prayer is, they're going to want to pray. I remember uh, about 15 years ago, after reading Classic Christianity uh, by Bob George, um, I stopped having my devotions. (laughs) And I'm a pastor at the time. Can you believe that? A pastor not having devotions? Really? I just, I didn't want to do it. I felt like I was doing it out of obligation and duty. And that lasted almost a year. I was used to going to church really early before everybody else got there, or midweek, and just having it alone and kneeling at the front. And I loved it. I did enjoy that time when I was there. But as I started to realize, some of my activities were lived out as duty, to impress God. Because if I was acting right, then the blessings I feel are a result of my good behavior, which also implies that the curses that come my way are a result of my bad behavior. Do you see the dualism there? It's awful. That is not Jesus. So when I stopped, I still communed and talked with God. It took almost a year, and then I had this desire to want to read again to be in my own way have my time with God my way that's far more real my way not a ritual from a book not prescribed by the church but how the Union lives in me and it, each person has their own way you can't legislate it now there is wisdom for those trying to understand this. Sure, here, have a little small tutor, something to practice until you can stand on your own two feet. You know, use, it as a, use this list if you need to. But you're not meant to live by the list. You're meant to put the list away and allow it to be from your soul. If you're still using a list of pray, you remember the acronym for pray? It was a like prayer, supplication, blah, blah, whatever it was. Blah, blah, blah. And those are great for beginners, but we're called to mature. We're called to grow up. Here Paul says, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Do you know what this does? If nothing else, this takes the attention off yourself. That's right. And suddenly you realize, oh. Oh. I've been a little more self-centered than I realized. This was humbling this week, going through this. Just just to ponder the first part of this verse. Wow, take the eyes off of my problem and see other people. It's amazing when you start praying for others and, and seeing the needs of others. Your problems get kind of blended into a way. They don't go away. But the intensity, the anxiety of your soul shifts. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. This is not a favorite verse of many people. (laughs) This one can really tick you off right now. In the last two, three years, all the political rhetoric, rhetorics, now even here in Canada, wherever, whatever country you are in, pray for those in authority. I have a hunch our culture is set up to resist authority. Defund the police rhetoric. Is there value to it? I think at the heart of it there is. But the words don't mean what it seems to say. There's more at the heart of it. Our political fighting back and forth. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your politicians. No, not like that. As in, I pray they go to hell. <laughs> like, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> pray for them. Why? Number one, they're human. Just like you. Oh, they don't seem human at all, not from the way their opinions are and their beliefs. It's none of your business. You don't know what brought them to that. Lori and I have conversations often, and it's safe, We, we talk about our opinions, but we don't get on a rampage about any one politician. Pray for them. Imagine your attitude... And how it changes when you begin to pray for your leaders. Pray for your boss at work. Even though you can't stand them, maybe. Pray for the manager. Pray for those who overuse their authority for personal gain. Because they're easy to see. But this is suggesting an other's centeredness love. Love. Remember that slide? They'll know we're believers because of our what? Love. This is the path to it. Just this one section. I'm blown away by it. I did not expect this to come out so bluntly. Pray for other countries in their turmoil, even the ones that you call evil. Pray for them. The Holy Spirit can translate your words. Even if you're angry, pray. Even pray with your anger. Vent to Jesus. What? Yes, did you know you can vent? King David, he he modeled it for us. Smite my enemies, take them out. And he was really graphic, like really bad graphics in the Psalms. And then later, he still comes around. But Lord, you have blessed me. But Lord this and Lord I give thanks it's very honest if you don't know how to pray just go scream somewhere where nobody's around <laughs> yell be quiet sit by a tree or by water just be quiet prayer is not just your words it's receiving and God I believe somebody, a couple of people don't like when I say this but sorry too bad I believe God is always speaking to us. Always. Through our culture, through nature, through people, always. Are you listening? You'd be shocked about what you hear. You'd be shocked if you just pause. And it didn't say, "Here's a good idea." He says, "I urge you." That's not just a light suggestion. Here's a good idea. Jot this down for a note. No. I urge you. Pray for all people. Pray for your leaders. Huh. You see, in a culture where we don't like to be told what to do, where we balk at authority, and yet we just finished reading through some Henry Nowen on weakness, Jesus came in weakness. He submitted. And Jennifer was saying that in the beginning. God submitted to us. The Creator, you say believe in, submitted to you? But that's backwards. Yes. Huh. And then scriptures encourage us to submit one to another. I love that line in Philippians where it says, "Wives, submit to your husbands," and not because of what the line says. <laughs> as if you remember, William Paul Young did a beautiful presentation on the word "submit" isn't even there in the original language, but it's been used as a club. Wives submit to your husbands. The word "submit" doesn't exist. Sometimes in some translations you'll see one of the words italicized, it means it wasn't there. It was added in. But going further back in that text, you can look it up yourself. It says, while submitting one to another, this is the mutual life and relationship. So as Jesus submitted to us, we submit to Jesus. We submit one to another in our marriages, in our families. We serve and love one another not to be served. (laughs) Imagine the kind of culture we'll have as we begin to shift to serve and love one another, be known for our love. I think it's mind-blowing. Colossians 1, oh, there it is again. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This is all about response of living. Now, remember that line that you may have heard growing up? Yeah, you need to be responsible, Christian. You have to, you know, this. but that means it's a rule-based thing, but if you slow down the word response, like what Paul Anderson Walsh says, it's not about your responsibility. It's that you are now response-able. Able Able to respond. This is how we can walk and live, not react. Love responds, it doesn't react. I read that this week. That was pretty cool. Philippians 4 from the First Nations Version says, I have lived with less than I need. I've lived with more than I need. I've learned the secret of walking the road of life, whether I am well-fed or hungry, whether I have more than I need or not enough. I can do all things through the chosen one who gives me strength. This is, again, the awareness of living from Christ in you being content in all things. May the Holy Spirit wake you up to what it is you need to hear today. I love this line. He's recognizing you can live with a lot and you can live with a little. But as we started our time together today, this is about waking up to the reality Christ lives in us He wants to live through you and just learn to abide. It's not about a to-do list. When we go to the scripture and we see a whole bunch of to-do lists, don't mix those up with laws. Those New Testament commands are not laws that if you break them, then you're in trouble. No. They are exhortations to you and I for our benefit. It shows us what Christian living can look like. And there's some wisdom to it. I urge you to pray. It's wisdom. Pray. It's not a law, but there's a benefit to it. And that's pretty cool. All right, let's wrap this up. Yeah, no, we're not. Mm -mm. Nope. Mm -mm. There we go. (laughs) Heavenly Father, for those of us who have been well groomed in churchianity, the system of rules, a system of following guidelines because it's easier to read a list than actually live from Christ in us. Will you teach us to let go of those things? And those of us who think we have let go of things, show us where there's more letting go to do so that we may walk moment by moment, instant by instant, hearing your voice as you are always speaking to us, and then responding. Teach us how to live this kind of living. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.